Welcome back to American Conversations. We have a very special guest today. We're honored to have the Foreign Minister for the Afghan Resistance, Ali Nazari. He is, uh, we, we've talked to him briefly before, but we want to go in depth into really what's happening in country. Welcome to the show, Ali. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So uh, real quick, you're a highly educated man in the West, in the United States and in London. Um, can you give us your background overview and then really what's happening in country recently? We did a series of interviews with people uh, right after the fall, but we haven't, this is, we're kind of coming back to the situation now. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Todd. Um, so what unfolded in Afghanistan in August was very unfortunate for both uh, uh, Afghanistan and the United States. Uh, 20 years of sacrifices for democracy, for freedom, uh, for uh, uh, to, to defeat terrorism, our mutual uh, enemy. It all went to vain with, with uh, what happened uh, on August 15th and, and, the, uh, um, and, and the events that unfolded before um, uh, August and afterwards. On August 15th, when the political elites uh, uh, were leaving Afghanistan, and they, were, they decided to abandon their country and allow the Taliban terrorists to take over, one individual decided otherwise, and that was uh, Commander Ahmad Massoud, who went from Kabul to Panjshir instead of leaving the country and going into exile. And he declared uh, resistance against uh, not only the Taliban, but uh, global terrorism overall. Um, and since then, uh, we have been fighting and resisting the uh, different terrorist groups, the plethora of terrorist groups right now that are expanding in Afghanistan, whether it's the Taliban who are uh, controlling Kabul and many other parts of the country or Al-Qaeda and ISIS. And for this reason, uh, we do not characterize our current resistance as a civil war. Uh, there are a lot of analysts uh, and, and uh, journalists here, here in the United States and elsewhere who are saying there is a civil war in Afghanistan between um, the Taliban and the National Resistance Front. Um, but uh, we do not characterize this as a, as a civil, uh, civil war. It's in reality the continuation of the war, global war on terror. Um, the difference now is that since August 15th, our allies have abandoned the global war on terror and were left all alone, abandoned to challenge and defeat the terrorists that are not only uh, threatening Afghanistan's people, that are enemies of Afghanistan's people, but the enemies of humanity. And till today, um, they still have the global jihadist mindset. They are not going to limit themselves in Afghanistan. Once they uh, empower, entrench themselves in Afghanistan and base themselves in Afghanistan, consolidate their bases inside Afghanistan, they'll start rethinking um, plans on how to attack the West, uh, specifically the United States, whether it's U.S. assets in the region or U.S. soil. So this is the current conflict uh, that we are seeing in the country. And the National Resistance Front is the only um, democratic forces left inside the country, the only Western, uh, Western allies left inside Afghanistan that are continuing the fight that started more than 20 years ago. So how is that fight going um, from the bench here? I know we left a lot of weapons. Are they using those weapons against you? Are they effective? Have they sold the weapons? What's the latest on that situation? So from uh, mid-August until early September, we were fighting a conventional war against them mm -hmm. from the Pineshire Valley and another district uh, adjacent to Pineshire. It's called Andarab. Uh, however, in early September, we reached a realization that if we continue this conventional fight against these terrorists, uh, we will exhaust our limited amount of resources because the Taliban are armed to the teeth. They have everything that was uh, given by our U.S. allies and our European allies 
while we have nothing. And we pleaded to our allies before August 15th. I made trips to Washington, D.C. numerous times uh, uh, in, in the spring of uh, 2021, up to uh, summer of 2021, my last trip to D.C. before the fall of Kabul was in the last week of July. And I asked our, our uh, friends here that we are going to face a situation that will be un uh, unable to control. Uh, the capacity of the NSF is at its lowest. They, they lack any morale to continue fighting. But these resistance forces who have the morale and motivation to continue to fight, to protect the Democratic Republic, to, uh, to protect and preserve our achievements, and to continue their fight against international terrorism, they have to be strengthened. They have to be supplied with these resources. But unfortunately, there were a lot of deaf ears here, and they completely ignored our, our uh, request. Um, and, and so after August 15th, we launched our resistance with limited resources that the locals had that we were able to uh, uh, gather within days. And some of the remnants of the uh, uh, ANSF special forces, police force brought into Pineshare, but it wasn't enough. Uh, the other terrorist groups were well-armed, and we weren't. So since um, early uh, September, we've changed our tactic. It's more of a guerrilla war at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, we've, uh, we're fighting as if we're, uh, we're, we're using the same tactics as we used in the 1980s against the Soviets, um, and, and it proved successful back then. It's proving to be successful right now. Uh, since September, we've expanded to six other provinces. So we've been launching raids against uh, the terrorists um, in six other provinces at night. And um, we've inflicted um, uh, high casualties on them. Yeah. And, and, and we are uh, determined to continue this resistance until we're able to free our country, liberate our country. Because on one side, it's the international terrorist groups that have come in, whether it's Al-Qaeda, whether it's the Taliban themselves, or ISIS. And you're seeing, just last week, uh, General McKenzie expressed the increasing presence of Al-Qaeda in the country. Mm -hmm. And we stated this even months before the fall of Kabul, that Al-Qaeda is returning to Afghanistan. The rank and file are in the thousands. Uh, the Taliban have handed over U.S.-made equipment, U.S.-made weapons to Al-Qaeda fighters, to different Al-Qaeda groups, especially in northern Afghanistan. Uh, they've welcomed back the Al-Qaeda leadership to the country. Right now, the Kabul, uh, Kabul province's governor, the current governor appointed by the Taliban, is an Al-Qaeda member. He's a well-known Al-Qaeda member. Um, he's part of the sanctions list. And today, he's the governor of Kabul province. This is how affiliated uh, the Taliban are with Al-Qaeda, how intertwined their relationship is. And we, we have strong reports that other Taliban leaders have also uh, returned and they're, they're present inside the country. And, and the same with ISIS. They, they have presence uh, in, in the country as well. And we're fighting all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is the imbalance when it comes to, and comes, comes to the war. Uh, this is the irony that we have nothing. However, the terrorists, our enemies, have U.S.-made weapons, yeah. have high-tech weapons, and we're still not being taken seriously. But uh, fortunately, without anything, we're able to expand, we're able to continue our, our fight, and we're determined to continue this until we're, we're, we're victorious and we liberate our country. Are you getting help from the people? Uh, are people, you know, you have a whole generation that grew up uh, – not under the Taliban and really know nothing else. And now their lives have been radically changed. I mean, are you seeing people come to your side due to the realization that they don't want to live under this new society? Of course, of course. Mm -hmm. One thing that we have that the Taliban lack is legitimacy, mm -hmm. is popular support. The Taliban for the past 20 years, time after time, tried to uh, call on, on the people to rise up against um, uh, NATO forces, 
against um, Afghanistan's government, but it never happened. The people never answered their call. But our leader, Commander Ahmad Massoud, on 6th of September, recorded a message to the nation, and he called upon the leader, uh, called upon the people to rise up and, and to resist the Taliban in whatever capacity they could. And the people answered his call. Hmm. And with us, you had mass protests in Sabal and Mazar Sharif in Iraq in the rural, rural areas of Afghanistan and the provinces. And this shows our legitimacy amongst the population. Right now, we have peaceful protest demonstrations inside the cities, whether it's women or men. We have armed uh, resistance, pockets of resistance that are expanding, that are growing throughout the country. And this, and it's not based on parties or uh, the elite class, because like I mentioned before, the political elite, all of them went into exile. The political parties went into exile. This is a grassroots movement. The National Resistance Front is a grassroots movement, and it's supported by the people. It's from the people. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so it's the people themselves who formed the National Resistance Front when Commander Ahmad Massoud went from Kabul to Pankshir. The people gathered around him. The remnants of the ANSF gathered around him. They pledged their allegiance, and it's expanding everything. So we're receiving more popular support because we created hope amongst the population, mm -hmm. especially, like you said, the educated class, that there is still a voice of democracy. There is still democratic forces fighting and defending their, uh, they're, they're defending their values. They're fighting for their values. And they're real, realizing this is the only option. So I guess, yeah. yes. The Taliban in the past three months have shown they're still terrorists. They're still criminals. It's still a crime syndicate. They're un unable to build a state. They're not statesmen. They're not state mm -hmm. builders. They are not here to serve the people. Two weeks ago, their so-called uh, prime minister came on national TV for the first time and said, well, our responsibility and duty was jihad against the foreigners and against the corrupt governments in Kabul. But since August 15th, our duty and responsibility to the people have ended. We do mm -hmm. not have any other responsibility. Uh, the people should ask God, should pray to God for, for, uh, for God to provide, whether it's food, shelter, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> when, when, the, their so-called head of government has such a mentality. Yeah, just imagine what the others have. Right? La, how much? Of an and this is the main reason why. How much of yes. the uh, the difference in the economic situation eighteen months ago to today uh, is playing a role in the in the rise up from the grassroots? Uh, can you repeat your question? I, I wasn't able to. How, how much of the, of the economic difference between 18 months ago and today in Afghanistan is playing into what is happening on the ground in terms of the, the rising up of the grassroots? So, unfortunately, the economic situation has been bleak for, for a few years now. The country entered a recession. However, it has worsened uh, since August 15th. Mm -hmm. um, the reason isn't uh, the lack of support from the U.S. Uh, uh, for, for this so-called new uh, regime in Kabul, but it's uh, because you don't have experts on the ground in Afghanistan to run the economy, to run the banking system. You don't have professionals, bureaucrats left inside the country. And this is the main reason. Um, even if Western countries or any other country injects cash and other resources into the economy right now in Afghanistan, uh, it will not improve the situation because you do not have individuals who are able to utilize that aid in order to improve the economy. And two, the people who are in power today in Kabul, they don't have the intentions of improving the lives of the people. They're here to exploit the people. They're here to use an opportunity to enrich themselves. For the past three year, uh, three months, um, drug trafficking, 
human trafficking, antiquity trafficking, has exponentially increased. Uh, it hasn't decreased. Uh, beforehand, there were predictions being made uh, by many analysts uh, that, well, if, if the Taliban do come to power, they, they will be able to decrease drug production, drug trafficking, or the other criminal activities that were they were involved with. But for the past three months, we've seen that they're increasing that because that's the only thing that they know. They're criminals. You cannot expect more from criminals. Criminals cannot become politicians. They cannot become statesmen. Mm -hmm. This is the problem when it comes to the mentality that exists outside of Afghanistan today. That they believe that you, you had a political insurgency challenging the people in power and now they've taken the country like any other insurgency around the world and they could act, um, uh, they could um, uh, act uh, according to the people's interest and, and they could be disciplined, they, they could... Uh, build a new state, a new bureaucracy, which we've seen in the past few months that this group is unable to do. Let's talk about the antiquity uh, trafficking because the average, the average global citizen has no idea about how ISIS may, and Al-Qaeda made a fortune off of the antiquity trafficking over the course of the last 20 years. I've covered all the different phases of human trafficking for over two decades all over the world. Explain how that is working, how the antiquity trafficking is taking off in Afghanistan now. So the antiquity tra uh, trafficking has increased. Uh, we're seeing uh, um, excavations, illegal excavations throughout the country uh, by, by the Taliban terrorists and their um, Al-Qaeda allies. Um, one uh, collection that is missing, we do not know what has happened to it, is the Bactrian hoard or the Bactrian treasures that was discovered in the 1980s. And we're, people have been asking this question, many others have been asking this question, to the people who are in Kabul right now, to the uh, Taliban, and they haven't been giving a clear answer. And this is one of Afghanistan's most valuable uh, treasures of Afghanistan's artifacts that, that is uh, more than uh, 2,000 years old. Mm -hmm. And today it's gone missing. Wow. Uh, the same, there's parts of the museum that people haven't seen uh, that's uh, closed off to the public and other um, uh, artifacts that were in, in the ministry of culture in the presidential palace that no one has seen since uh, August 15th. Uh, and, and we're going to see an increase in this. And not only that, but they're damaging historic sites. So um, a month ago, there were uh, there, there forces in Bamiyan were, were shooting at the remnants of the Buddhas of Bamiyan uh, 20 years after its destruction by the same Taliban. So they were there... Uh, using the remnants of the Buddhas of Bamiyan as a shooting range. They were shooting at it, firing at it, and, and damaging whatever was uh, uh, left uh, from their previous destruction in, in 2001. This is uh, their mindset, and, and they're not here to preserve our heritage, our culture, our history, our identity. They're here to destroy it, and they serve the interests of other countries. Um, and, and the people of Afghanistan perceive them as invaders, as people who are occupying their country and who are working for the interests of the neighboring country that has been sponsoring them, have been harboring them for the past 20 years. Has, has the poppy uh, in Helmand province, is, is the poppy, it, a lot of the drug trafficking coming from Helmand province? From Helmand, from Kandahar, Oruzgan, from many other provinces, in southern and eastern Afghanistan. They're expanding that to other provinces. Um, in the past few months, drug cultivation, drug production, and drug trafficking has exponentially increased. And, and, and they're using uh, many, uh, um, uh, uh, and they've actually increased the price of heroin and meth. They're not only producing heroin, they're producing meth at the moment. And so they're using that as a source of revenue. Uh, and 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 there's a lot of um, uh, 
drug lords, uh, well-known drug lords, who are even uh, officials in their so-called uh, administration in Kabul at the moment. Is it the same routes that they used in the past, going up through the stands and then also down through Pakistan? So going through Central Asia is becoming difficult for them since uh, the border there is closed and you have more forces guarding the border up north um, because they've been arming Al-Qaeda along the border of Afghanistan with Central Asia. So Central Asian republics, especially Tajikistan, which is threatened by them, has increased their presence along the border. It's very difficult for them to uh, export their drugs uh, through the Central Asian border. But uh, it's going mostly through Pakistan at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the ISI is giving them um, safe passage. What about the tra what about the human trafficking? Is that mostly internally? Oh, it's uh, they're, they're, they've increased human trafficking in the region. So they're uh, unfortunately um, kidnapping civilians, um, both girls and boys, and, and sending them off to other countries. Hmm. Who's is it still trans? When I was there, it was trans criminal, uh, trans, you know, for the transnational trafficking of the drugs, the antiquities, and and the the, the children uh, and the women, uh, both boys and girls at the time. Is is it is it uh, outside uh, influence? Is it mostly through Pakistan that they're doing the trafficking yes. of the beans? Yes, of course, of course, and. Uh, like I stated before, we perceive the Taliban not only as a terrorist group, but they're a crime syndicate. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they, Premier Khan, what is, what is he? What is the Prime Minister Khan doing about it? Is he totally ignoring it, like he did before at the border? Of course, uh, the the Pakistanis are trying to uh, paint a beautiful image of what is happening inside Afghanistan, uh, trying to promote a narrative that the Taliban have changed that they could be trusted, that they could be recognized as a government. All of this was, was a facade that they've been promoting for the past few years. And they fooled not only many people inside Afghanistan, many people in the region, and many countries in the West. Um, and, and they were able to uh, uh, prepare the grounds for, for the current situation. Mm -hmm. and, and so they're still promoting that narrative. They're, they're denying all of this. They're um, unwilling to, to go after any of these uh, criminal activities that are happening along the border and, and even in, in uh, many other uh, provinces inside Pakistan. They're, they're complicit with this and, and they, they have a part uh, when it comes to uh, the increase of criminal activities in the region. Are you seeing any input or uh, influence from China? Has that stepped up? Yes. Uh, so one of, one of uh, the Taliban's closest allies is China. Um, they have very uh, close relations. Um, China perceives the Taliban as an ally that it could use against the West. Um, it could use Afghanistan with a Afghan. Uh, it, it could use Afghanistan as a land bridge to connect it with the greater Middle East and then exert influence and power and to challenge the United States in, in the Gulf region. Uh, so Chinese presence has been increasing since August 15th, um, and they've uh, been uh, sending assistance and aid. Their, their, uh, their officials are going in and out of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is close relations uh, between uh, the Taliban regime and, and, and China at the moment. Uh, they, um, uh, and, and the Taliban themselves have shown their sincerity towards China. They've, uh, they haven't spoken against China's policies when it comes to the Uyghurs. Mm -hmm. um, they've removed the uh, hundreds or, or a few, um, well, well over a thousand Uyghurs who were in Northeastern Afghanistan transfer them away from the Chinese border and they're uh, avoiding any any discussion when it comes to the oppression that Muslims are facing in China, which is much worse than anywhere in the world. Right now, the situation that Muslims face in, in China 
is is something that cannot be compared with anywhere else. Um, those concentration camps, the, the killings that are happening there, and the Taliban are ignoring this. Uh, if it's if your narrative is global jihad, if you're speaking about Kashmir or any other country, and you're saying well Muslims are oppressed in in so and so country, then why aren't you mentioning anything about China? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is something that we've uh, realized that they're they're trying to build a strategic uh, uh, partnership with China and and Pakistan is the facilitator when it comes to this. What about the, uh, are they still rounding up people in country since the fall of Kabul, uh, allies of the United States, or have they let that go, or is it still ongoing? They're they're killing um, former ANSF soldiers, government Mm -hmm. officials, and and anyone else who was uh, um, directly or indirectly involved with the political order of the past 20 years. So journalists, intellectuals, activists, and we've seen them targeting these people for the past three months, and it's it's mm. continuing. These atrocities are continuing. Um, uh, ethnic cleansing is happening in many parts of the country, in the Hazara regions in central Afghanistan, up north, in the main valley of Panjshir, where they have presence. Um, they were ethnically cleansing the valley. They forcefully expelled uh, um, uh, more than uh, 1,500 families from Pineshire, they are doing the same thing uh, in, in the Uzbek uh, uh, regions up in northwestern Afghanistan. So they are committing war crimes, um, and this is continuing. Uh, there, and we see no international organization coming and, and, and speaking out and, and mm-hmm. condemning them for this. Uh, uh, there were a, a report that came out about the ethnic cleansing in in Daikundi province, populated by the Hazaras, two months ago. But nothing serious came out afterwards, and nothing is happening by the international community. Uh, We believe the humanitarian crisis is a major crisis. It should be addressed. But it shouldn't... uh, We shouldn't allow the Taliban to use this crisis in order for them to conceal and hide their other uh, and, and their atrocities their war crimes and their criminal activities mm-hmm. and and for the world to only focus on the humanitarian crisis so so ali uh, i'm always one of these journalists that likes to name names and i don't know if that makes you uncomfortable or not but um when you met with people in washington dc back in the summer before the fall on on august 15th I'm presuming that you explained to them this was not a really good plan, how they were going to execute it, the exit. Did you have, did you get any sense from the Biden administration then or now that they possibly made a mistake and should have thought this through? Because if, if you have an increase and trafficking, and we had uh, of, of all sorts, and we had heard that the banks, if somebody from outside Afghanistan wanted to send money to a bank in Afghanistan, people were limited to how much money they could take out, and sometimes they couldn't take out any foreign currency because the Taliban had taken over the banks. I don't know if that's true, if you can confirm that or not, but we had heard that from several people. But has anybody in Washington, D.C. Come, basically come out and said, you know, maybe we should rethink this since the Taliban is asked to be recognized by the U.N.? So uh, before August 15th, there wasn't much of an interest when it came to Afghanistan. And there were miscalculations. Um, many believe that the ANDSF will uh, survive, um, that the $3.3 billion that is being given to Afghanistan's government uh, will, will guarantee the survival of the government and they believe that there was a strong leadership in Kabul but all of these were miscalculations Uh, what we proposed even before the uh, announcement of the withdrawal was that withdrawal should start later on in the summer any decision being made in the United States we respect it Um, but at the same time these other uh, our our, uh, Reservations should also be considered, especially when it came to the timetable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 
mistake that was made was the timing of the withdrawal. It started in the beginning of uh, spring, the fighting season, and ended in the middle of the fighting season. Right. Uh, which allowed the Taliban terrorists to be able to exploit the voids that were created, the vacuum that was created. If it would start in the later part of summer, towards the end of the fighting season, and end during winter, uh, right. we could have saved uh, the government. Uh, we could have allowed, the United States could have allowed the government to fill in the void because it's much difficult for the terrorists to fight during winter. Um, they lose their mobility. Uh, they Most of their fighters go back to their madrasas in Pakistan and go to their villages. So they don't have the uh, capabilities to uh, maneuver uh, to, to, during uh, uh, winter. But but our, our uh, recommendations were not taken into consideration. Uh, Did you meet with the State Department or the uh, National Security Council advisors? Well, we, we conveyed our message to everyone. Uh, okay. It was basically everyone, but uh, it, it went unnoticed. And it wasn't only our um, American uh, partners, but our European partners and others who could have influenced uh, the policy. Uh, but we saw that everyone uh, miscalculated. And and now uh, our predictions were unfortunately right. Uh, when we said, if the U.S. fully withdraws during this period, Kabul will fall within weeks and days, not within months or years. Um, and, and that's what happened, unfortunately. Do you think there's an intentional uh, withholding of money to people who have worked for the government so that, you know, you, you have this economic, I don't want to call it a recession, but people are talking about that with the economic situation over there now, it could be, it could be, you know, starvation going into 2022. Is, is, is that analysis have any weight with you at all? So the banking system collapsed uh, on August 15th and onwards. Um, and, and the reason is because there wasn't much cash uh, left inside the country. Um, many of the corrupt politicians who left including uh, uh, the former president, Ashraf Ghani, uh, took with him um, the, the remaining uh, cash that, that was inside Afghanistan in, in the central bank, in the presidential palace. Um, and, and so there wasn't much <clears throat> left in the banks for, for the banking system to continue operating and, and to, to um, continue their services to the general population. And then the people who came inside Kabul, um, as I stated before, they have no knowledge, they have no expertise, no training, no experience when it comes to running an economy, a banking system. They don't understand this. And they see the banking system uh, as, as a Western concept, as a non-Islamic concept. Right. And that they themselves do not have the will, the intentions of recovering what has been lost. And so what they're trying to do right now is they're asking for aid and assistance from the international community, but whatever that comes, they prioritize themselves. They first take a percentage for themselves. And then what they do is they distribute the aid amongst those communities that have been supporting them for the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority of the population are being deprived from the aid that's coming in from the United Nations, from many other countries. Uh, this is becoming a problem. And this is why we believe recognizing the Taliban, handing them money, handing them other resources will not alleviate the humanitarian crisis. Mm -hmm. They're one of the factors, one of the reasons why we have a humanitarian crisis. And if we continue supporting them and, and if, if the international community continues, handing aid to them directly, it will not go to the people. It'll just go to them and they'll manage it. They'll, they'll first uh, keep it for themselves. And if, if they do distribute amongst people, it will only be amongst those, a small minority that has been uh, um, supporting them in the past 20 years. And that's what we've seen in the past few months. 
Tell us what's happening to the little girls and their education and their schools, because we get, you know, we get conflicting reports. The Taliban leaders are saying, oh, we're going to keep the schools open for the girls. We see value in the girls being educated. It's tough for me to believe that, quite frankly. Um, so w what's the reality check on the ground for the for the girls and the, their education? So those Taliban uh, 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 officials uh, that are saying, well, we are in favor of uh, a girls' education and having women in the workforce. It's, it, again, the same facade that I, uh, that I said that Pakistan is promoting, that they're trying to receive international rec recognition by claiming all of this. But when it comes to action, we see otherwise. Uh, they haven't uh, been allowing women to return to schools. Uh, uh, they've uh, more schools have closed uh, in the past two months. Uh, the some a few schools that were open, uh, they've closed. Um, the women cannot be seen in the workforce. Uh, they've been limiting their movement throughout the city. So, the situation of women since August 15 is dire, and it's deteriorating as we speak. Um, they have no intention of, of allowing women to. Uh, Return to schools and for for girl, uh, for for uh, the the uh, uh, schools to reopen and and uh, this this is something that their their top officials have even expressed that based on our belief system and our religion, um, girls uh, have different responsibilities than men, and education isn't a responsibility, isn't even a right uh, for, for women. And this is why we're fighting today. We're resisting because we see all of these values threatened, all of these values um, that are being uh, neglected even by the international community. Um, when when we have democratic forces fighting in Afghanistan, but basically everyone is ignoring them, we see even the intentions of, of many Western countries uh, that. that consider themselves defenders of human rights, women's rights, of education, and so forth. And and the reality is that the Taliban will never allow women to return to whether it's education or or to the workforce. It's it's something that they cannot compromise it. Let me uh, elaborate on this. Uh, the only source of legitimacy that the Taliban have is radical Islamism, is global jihadism are these terrorist groups in the Muslim world. They receive their legitimacy from these groups, from this radical ideology. They don't receive it from the Western world or from the Eastern world. And they cannot sever their ties with, with uh, this source of legitimacy. If they do that, if they distance themselves from this ideology, it'll mean that they'll lose legitimacy. Their rank and file will change their loyalty from the Taliban to another group. Um, because at the end of the day, the global jihad ideology is what matters to their rank and file, to their fighters and many of their uh, leaders and commanders. If they see that some people are changing, uh, they'll just change sides. The flag and the name doesn't matter much to them. It's the ideology that matters. And they cannot afford to lose that source of legitimacy. So in order to um, sustain leg legitimacy, they cannot change their ideology. They cannot change their actions. And this is something that they've kept stating in, in action. We've seen this. They've been glorifying suicide bombers. Uh, they've had many events in Kabul where they've um, gathered the families of suicide bombers, said suicide bombing is uh, one of the most uh, divine acts that human beings could perform for, for their religion, for God, and so forth. And and uh, they, they have no, no intention of, of cutting their ties with this ideology. And, and banning girls from education and uh, from, from the workforce is a fundamental principle of this uh, ideology that they adhere to. What about, well, what about the World Food Program? Has David Beelsley and the World Food Program thought about trying to help people inside Afghanistan? I mean, just, because, you know, I'm concerned about sort of people like the widows who have no sons, who have no brothers, 
who cannot leave their homes now. They can't be seen in the public under the Taliban. I mean, th there's going to be food issues uh, as, the longer this, this, this goes on. Have the World Food Program tried to help? So we've seen discrimination when it comes to even the World Food Program. It's not going to every single region in Afghanistan. It's not going to every single ethnic group in Afghanistan. Um, the Taliban allow them to uh, 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 give them access to one region, but not, not another. Pineshire, for example, is declared a restricted area at the moment. Not much aid is going in. To, uh, to Pineshire, whether it's for the World Food Program or any other agency inside the country. So we're seeing such problems. Um, and, and it's basically the Taliban deciding where they go to. And a large percentage, a considerable percentage of the aid directly goes to the Taliban. Have you seen any... I was going to ask, have you, have you had any Western feminist groups come and express their uh displeasure with what's happening to afghan women and girls yes there is some uh groups uh women's rights uh, activists but uh, i don't see anything serious happening we need mm -hmm. more action um mm -hmm. and and one way is to support these online uh efforts uh online schooling for for the girls who have been deprived mm -hmm. from education uh, putting more support putting more uh, funds into these programs will definitely help uh, those who are uh, interested and are, are uh, interested in continuing their education and who want to acquire knowledge and and to serve their people, their society, their country in the future, they should be given that opportunity. And so helping these other groups who are uh, based inside Afghanistan, um, who are trying to educate women via online programs uh, that that should be the focus of these women's rights uh, organizations and then helping uh, the civil society you have women still organizing and protesting on the streets of Kabul on the streets of Herat and other cities there should be more sort uh, uh, more support for these groups uh, um, and then these groups should uh, be um, more uh, vocal when it comes to this and, and, and express their support in any way they can. Um, because this shows that we had concrete, tangible achievements in the past 20 years. You had a civil society that came into being and, and, and it still exists even after the collapse of the government. Mm -hmm. um, you had a vibrant middle class you had an educated class in society. And now we realize that for years they were saying, no, transformation hasn't happened. But now we see there was actual transformation in Afghanistan society. This is why the Taliban are having a hard time managing the affairs of this country because there's the detachment between them and society. The people, they want democracy. They want their freedom. They want to enjoy all their rights as human beings. And they don't want a brutal regime, a radical regime uh, in Kabul ruling them and oppressing them. Uh, right now, a few days ago, in many of the provinces, what they've done is they've, um, they're taking track of who's coming to the mosques for congregational prayers and not. And those who do not attend um, prayers at the mosques, they get fined. Uh, and this is a, at a time uh, when... Uh, people are basically are running out of cash, they're running out of food, and they're finding people if they don't appear in the mosques for congregational prayers. Uh, that's coercion. And, and that's coercion. I mean, that's that's like yes. we, we heard stories about how, I mean, when you mentioned, you know, the girls trying to get online education, we've also heard the fact that the Taliban turns off the electricity, and it's not even, it's not, there's no pattern to it in every province where they're playing that game but in the in the provinces that haven't been loyal to taliban it seems to be uh, or even the neighborhoods it, it seems to be that they're playing games with the electricity as well so i mean that's that's just trying to break people yes yes and this is completely going against the belief system in islam and in, in the quran holy quran it says there is no compulsion in religion. So if someone doesn't pray, 
you can't right. just force it upon them. So it's, it's they're 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 acting contrary to uh, the uh, the Holy Quran and 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 Islam. When when they force people to go to mosques, when they force people to pray, this 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 just shows the the uh, the uh, level of extremism within this group and how and they haven't changed. And but they oh yes, hypocrisy as well. They're they're themselves are involved with criminal activities and they're increasing their criminal activities every day but they're asking people to become religious and pious it's just so hypocritical it's it contradicts what they're doing throughout the country and elsewhere so so how how is your how is your uh i guess how are people like you holding up when you have seen the advancement before August 15th? Okay. Even though it's been kind of weak in, in the last several years, but you know, it's going to be tough to bring this back. So, I mean, do you have a lot of hope that it's there? I mean, is, is the willpower there for the people? Is it really a strong grassroots people rising up the generation saying, we don't even know what these people are talking about because we weren't born until the last 20 years so what they've experienced is the buildup of democracy and freedom i mean are people saying enough is enough we're not going to put up with this so afghanistan's history has shown that oppressive regimes never last uh we saw that with the soviets the soviet-backed communist regime in Kabul in the 80s which had more resources which was more capable than what the taliban have and the people rose against them and the same is happening today, uh, whether it's in the cities or in the rural, rural uh, provinces. Um, and today, Afghanistan is becoming more urban. Uh, before mm -hmm. uh, 2001, most of the country was living in, in the provinces or outside of the cities. Um, you had a small urban population. But today, right now, it's 50-50, so around maybe 45% is urban. 55% is rural. So we have a large urban population that will never accept the Taliban. And the same with the uh, provinces because of the ethnic cleansings, because of the atrocities and other uh, war crimes that are being committed, and because of what I just stated when, when it comes to forcing prayer upon the people and uh, these other acts of religion. Um, every day that passes, we're receiving more support. We're receiving more messages. People are uh, right now, preparing themselves to to rise up, to fight, to do whatever it takes to liberate their country. The Taliban are not capable. They're not a, a group capable of creating a bureaucracy, a police state, and and uh, of of creating a a, a a totalitarian regime. They're they're something short term. They are oppressing the people, but uh, they're unable to uh, consolidate power and to survive. Um, in, in the foreseeable future. But by spring, we will see more movement. Uh, we'll see the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan expand in more provinces, and we'll, we'll be able to uh, uh, liberate our country from terrorists, uh, from whatever. What do you need, what do you need from, the, from the international community? What do you, no, what, need, what do you need? We need everything. You need, you need, need. <laughs> you need everything. <laughs> You need the you need the women to speak up for the girls that they helped through the years. You need the uh, the allies to pay attention to the reality check of what's going on. But yes, what, because... what what are the top three things that you think are pivotal points for a tipping point to turn this around? Because it fell fast and it doesn't and it was predictable in some circles and it was denied in others. But if it if if it if we don't get those pivotal points secure, it could turn into a real disaster for a long period of time. What do you need? So we need the international community to stand with the people of Afghanistan, with the last remaining democratic forces that are fighting for the country's um, uh, freedom, the country's independence, uh, is putting an effort to liberate the country uh, from terrorism. And it's the only forces that could go after international terrorism. So we need more support for the National Resistance Front. Um, and, and this comes in all sorts of ways, all sorts of shape and form. 
And second is, is helping the civil society survive. Um, we uh, depend on support coming outside of Afghanistan for the civil society to survive and to continue their efforts, their peaceful efforts in resisting the Taliban. So both the armed efforts and the peaceful efforts needs the support of the international community, especially from our uh, partners uh, who we've been uh, um, uh, fighting against these forces for the past uh, um, 20 years. They have to come back to our aid or else the situation is going to become so bleak in a year or so. You'll have the rise of all these terrorist groups and they will start threatening um, the West. And, and the last time the international community, especially the United States, abandoned Afghanistan was in 1992 after the Cold War. And less than a decade, we saw 9-11 happening. We saw the attacks by Al-Qaeda that were planned in Afghanistan even before 9-11 uh, that, that occurred. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a high chance of that happening again. And, and we have embol- more emboldened terrorists today because they have the narrative that we've defeated the United States, that the United States isn't invincible, and they have more cells in the Western world. Um, so they see themselves more capable today compared to 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So it's, it, it's very crucial, very important for the international community to continue its efforts against terrorism that cannot happen through the Taliban. The Taliban will never become a partner against Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other groups because they themselves are so intertwined with these groups. They themselves are terrorists. They share the same ideology. They'll never be able to help the international community overcome these threats. But we're the only forces willing to create that cooperation, that partnership against our mutual enemies. And we don't see much... uh, uh, we don't see much uh, attention into this. Ali, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we want to have you back uh, down the road as things change or improve or, or not improve. So thank you again for coming thank you. on sharing. Yeah. Thank you for thank having you me. Ali. It was great being here. Okay. Thank you very, have very much. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays.